Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Uh, good morning, everybody, as we are in our Holy Week. Uh, it's going to be a special time, I'm sure, as we uh, prepare our hearts for Monday Thursday uh, for the Last Supper. And then for Good Friday, and then uh, the real celebration as well on Resurrection Sunday for Easter. So we're preparing the way this week, you might say, uh, leading up to some of these events. And I think the best thing we could do uh, is pray. But before we do that, let's just stretch a minute. It's always good to uh, have a chance to loosen up a little bit. And uh, you can lift your hands and praise as well. But the most important thing, uh, let's look to the Lord and ask him to speak to us through his word. Well, Father, we want to thank you for this brand new day, uh, for this holy week, Lord, as we are remembering, Lord, all that you did for us to put our broken lives back together again. So, Lord, we just open ourselves to you, and we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon uh, this chapter that we're going to be reading. Lord, uh, we pray, take the words off the page, and we pray, uh, just touch our hearts, Lord. May we hear in a deeper way your love through your crucifixion and your bearing our sins. So, Father, we thank you for each one on the screen, and we thank you for speaking to us afresh and anew. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, John 19, let me read it. Verses 1 to 16. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and he scourged him. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, to give him blows in the face. And Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus therefore came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. When therefore the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify, crucify. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that statement, he was more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate therefore said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, 
Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard these words, he brought Jesus out. He sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. That was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. They therefore cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he then delivered him to them to be crucified. Amen. Amen. So as I look at the, these verses in John 19, uh, there's four points I think that, uh, that hit home to me. One, uh, Pilate, as you look here, is doing his very best to release Jesus. Uh, number two, uh, Jesus is the son of God. Uh, third point, I think, is the, the physical pain and mental and emotional and spiritual pain that Jesus went through in this whole ordeal. And last, uh, the fourth point is God is in control. He's in control back in Bible days, and he's still in control right now in 2023. So let's kind of look at these uh, a chunk at a time. So first, uh, Pilate tries to release Jesus, okay? Um, we're going to back up a little bit in John 18. So Pilate is kind of in a jam. The Jews are bringing Jesus to him, basically to get Jesus killed and wiped out. Uh, Jesus has been their nemesis. He has been uh, giving them uh, rebukes. Uh, they don't like it. He's turning upside down some of their beliefs. So they want him out of the way. And they're going to let Pilate do the dirty work. That's what they're after. So if you look at chapter 18, uh, and if you look at verse 29, uh, when the Jews brought Jesus to him, Pilate therefore went out. This is 1829. Pilate therefore went out and said to them, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if this man were not an evil doer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Pilate therefore said to them, take him yourselves, judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. So number one, Pilate says, I, I don't want to be involved in this. This is not my deal. It's yours. So he's trying to, again, not get involved in this situation at all. If you look a little bit further um, at 18, and uh, Jesus has been now interrogated by Pilate. Pilate has taken him aside from the crowds, had a personal interview. And after hearing what Jesus says there, uh, Pilate goes out. This is in verse 38, 1838, and goes out again to the Jews. He said to them, I find no guilt in him. And, and Pilate is basically trying to say, hey, I don't see anything wrong. This man is not guilty. Uh, going a little further. Uh, as uh, 39, uh, he says this, but you have a custom 
that I should release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? And at this point, uh, it's very interesting. Pilate, again, is trying to get out of this, but we have another side note. It's interesting how the Gospels complement each other. So to add to this, uh, if you look back, and I, we don't have time for you to turn to all these, but I just want to give you some references. In Matthew 27, uh, verse 19, uh, we're told this, uh, 27, 19. Well, it says, Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat. His wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night, I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. So while this is going on, and Pilate's trying to see who they should release, his wife comes in and says, don't mess with this man. He's a righteous man. Do not mess with him at all. So Pilate at that point... Uh, basically, again, tries to get out of the situation. Uh, he's trying to release someone. And if you look at verse 40 of 18, therefore they cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Again, Pilate is saying, I do not want to be involved. Pilate's sensing there's something about this man that's different. And he's beginning to get very... Mm, very uh, unsettled about putting this man into the hands of the Jews or even doing anything himself. So picking up right where we start today, Pilate again is trying to get the Jews to let Jesus go. And he figures, okay, let's have Jesus beaten. And if, if the Jews see this, maybe that'll satisfy them. So look at 19.1. The Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They began to come up to Jesus saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they gave him blows in the face. And Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that here it is. I find no guilt in him. Pilate keeps saying that over and over and over again. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> and therefore, Jesus coming out, wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When therefore the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, And here they go. The Jews want him out of the way. Crucify him. Crucify. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Holy Spirit is really trying to get Pilate's attention and make it clear to Pilate that don't mess with this man. And Pilate is doing everything he can uh, to be able to be able to not find Jesus guilty. And if you go a little bit further, uh, you'll see in verse 12. And as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. Okay, so again, he's trying to get him out. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself to be a king opposes Caesar. Now they're putting Pilate in a corner. They say, basically, if you let this man loose, this is not good. You're not a friend of Caesar. And Pilate knows he better be on Caesar's good side, because if he isn't, that might be the end 
of Pilate's life. So he is in a dilemma inside. Everything is saying, don't do it. Don't do it. But if, if he doesn't do it, he's going to be reported on and he could lose his life. So he's in this squeeze play at this point. So uh, at verse 14, and now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. Again, one last effort. He's a king. He's a king. How can you want to crucify a king? He's really, this is the last ditch effort, but it doesn't work. 15, they therefore cried out away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king again, trying the last ditch effort? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Pilate's pressured. He gives into the pressure. He crunches and he delivers Jesus to be crucified. So as I look at this, this, this portion, I think we need to realize that, that Pilate realizes that Jesus is not just any human being. Uh, I think he realizes, uh, intuitively knows that Jesus is more than just a man. In fact, I would go as far as saying, I believe that Pilate is sensing that Jesus could well be divine and a supernatural being. So we are all going to get pressured sometimes. Uh, and who knows, at the end of time, we know there's going to be great martyrdom in the church, persecution, when the Antichrist is loose. We don't know exactly when. Well, but even before that, any of us could be pressured at some point in the future. Am I for Jesus or am I not? And the pressure is on. Uh, and I think if you remember Peter, Peter thought, I'll never deny him. In a sense, Pilate, in the long run, denied Jesus, didn't stand up for what he knew was right. Peter caved in. And I just think we need to realize we need the grace of God, every one of us, so that if we're ever in the crunch and we're being persecuted and our life's at stake, we need to know only God's grace will give us the ability to stay faithful to the end and not betray our Lord. So there's a real battle in Pilate here. Uh, and the battle, unfortunately, he lost at the end. Now, this idea we talked about, I think Pilate's beginning to sense that Jesus is not just a man. Uh, and this whole idea leads into the second point. Uh, who is Jesus? Is he indeed the son of God? Okay. Is he indeed the son of God? If you look at uh, 19.7, uh, the Jews pressure Pilate. But here's what we need to deal with their statement. The Jews answered Pilate, we have a law. By the law, he ought to die because he made himself out what? To be the son of God. So <clears throat> who indeed is Jesus? Is he indeed the son of God? Well, let me just give you a couple of verses. Uh, let's let Jesus speak for himself or what other people think about him. Uh, I'm giving you, again, a couple of verses if you want to jot them down. John chapter 5 and verse 16. Uh, the Jews, it says here, were persecuting Jesus uh, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So Jesus is healing people on the Sabbath. 
Okay. But Jesus answered to them, my father's working unto now, and I myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more, what? To kill Jesus. Why? Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they're, they're, they're sensing when Jesus is saying that God is my father in a very personal way. In a sense, he's saying to them, not straight out, but he's, he's implying, yeah, I am indeed God's son. If you look at John chapter 10 and verse 30, at one point, Jesus makes this statement. It's really kind of in your face. He says this, John 10, 30, I and the father are one. That is a heavy duty statement. And the Jews realized it. It says, verse 31, the Jews took up stones again to stone Jesus. Jesus answered them, I've showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Okay? So, again, the statements that Jesus are saying are alluding to the fact he's not just a man. He's the son of God. And the clincher... Uh, of that of Jesus' own testimony uh, is found in Matthew 27 and in verse 19. No, I'm sorry. Uh, let me get it straight here. In Matthew, okay, I'm sorry. I got to get it. Matthew 26, that's what I was after. Matthew 26 and verse 63. Jesus is on trial before some of the Jewish leaders, and this is what he says, uh, Matthew 26, 63, Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. He said, let's not beat around the bush anymore, Jesus, straight out, are you or are you not the son of God? And Jesus said to him, You've said it yourselves. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe, saying, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have heard the blasphemy. When Jesus quoted that verse, uh, he was clearly saying, Yeah, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. So Jesus affirms it. Peter, one of the disciples, also affirms uh, that he is the son of God. In Matthew chapter 16, 16, Jesus had to quiz the disciples. He said, who do men say I am? And some people said, well, you're one of the prophets. You're this. You're John the Baptist. Back to life. Da, da, da. And then Peter blurts out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this. Thou art the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms it. Yep, you got it right, Peter. I am indeed the son of God. And even this, the father in heaven affirms that Jesus is his son. Uh, remember at the baptism uh, in Matthew chapter 3, 17, after Jesus is baptized, you hear the father say these words, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay?
So what do you do with Jesus? Well, uh, there's a, a great defender of the faith over the years by the name of C.S. Lewis. And what he said, I think you could throw out to people that wrestle with you, like, who is this Jesus? Who does he think he is? Well, Lewis made this statement. He said, I'm asking you to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the, the histories of Jesus with an unprejudiced mind, not for, not against the fact that he is the son of God. And he says, you're going to come out with three conclusions as you read this. Number one. Either Jesus is a crazy man in the statements he's making that I'm the son of God, or he's a liar, a definite liar, or he's telling the truth. And Lewis said, if you read these stories with an open heart, he said, number one, Jesus doesn't come off like a crazy man. He comes off more together and more sane than many, 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 many people that we know. So he's not crazy, scratch that off. And number two, he doesn't seem to come off like a liar. Uh, he seems to, to tell it like it is to the Pharisees. He doesn't try to mince words with them. Uh, he doesn't seem to be intimidated by them. He doesn't need to lie to try to, to cover up things. He seems to be straight. So Lewis says, guess what? You figure out for yourself. If he's not crazy, and if he's not a liar, you only got one other option. He's telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, then indeed he is the son of God. And I think we have uh, two other proofs. And other world leaders, Mohammed, Buddha, we don't hear of them doing miracles. But we do see Jesus all through the gospels doing miracles again and again, healing the blind, the deaf, the lame. And these miracles are affirming, again, he's not just a man. He is God's son. And the ultimate miracle is this, that he was crucified, but he was raised from the dead. That didn't happen to Buddha. That didn't happen to Mohammed. So, friends, we definitely have clear evidence, as far as I'm concerned about our faith, that Jesus is not just any man. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He is indeed the son of God who died for the sins of humanity. Okay, so we looked at Pilate's doing his best to release Jesus. He caves in. And we need the grace of God that we would not cave in when we're pressured to take a stand for who Jesus is for us. Uh, secondly, we looked at the fact that Jesus is, I believe, who the Bible says he is. He is God's son. And if he's God's son, we better pay careful attention to what he says. Because he makes statements like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, if he is the son of God, then we have to take his words very carefully that he's saying, I am the unique way to God. And to get to the Father, you need to put your trust in me. So let's look at uh, the last thing. Uh, well, actually, the next laugh. Uh, number third point would be the fact that of the physical and mental and emotional pain and spiritual pain of Jesus in his death. We see physically, uh, going back to John 19, uh, number one, it says that Pilate therefore scourged him. 
okay? So one of the physical things that Jesus went through is a scourging. Uh, and let me see why my picture went off here. There we go. Um, so the scourging uh, is done by <clears throat> the Romans. And there can't be more than 39 lashes because I guess they determine if you get many more than that, you're going to kill somebody. But there is these thongs, these leather thongs, a couple of these that are coming out individually. At the end of these different thongs, we know there's, there are sharp pieces of bone or pieces of metal at the end. So the people that would scourge Jesus would take these and they would just take this like a whip and come that uh, against his body. Uh, and basically, if you can imagine, these are not just uh, the, the, the leather, it's, it's the bone, it's the metal at the end that is so, so painful. So we know that as he is being beat over and over again, 39 times, <clears throat> things happen. Number one, <clears throat> excuse me, there, there would be deep bruises. As you keep hitting the bruises, now you're going to be having open cuts. These cuts would be all over his back, over his buttocks, and over the back of his legs. Uh, and as these keep going more and more and more, what's going to happen, his back and his legs are going to literally begin to be shredded. Uh, we know from historical facts that as this keeps going on, many times muscles would be exposed. And not just muscles, but sometimes actually the spinal cord would be exposed because it, there would be so much lashing on the back. Not only that, uh, there's times as these uh, thorns would coming against him and beating him, there could also be the idea of organs being exposed. Uh, if you uh, want to get into this more detailed, and it is a heavy movie to watch, is Check Out the Passion uh, by Mel Gibson. It is horrendous, uh, just painful to watch what his body, his body would have been one red welt, literally, with explosion, possibly of organs, of bones. It was very, very painful. Uh, we know historically that many people would die after the scourging. That's it. They'd begun unconscious and they'd die. So Jesus must have had a very strong constitution because after all this, now he has to basically lug a part of the cross to Gagatha where they're going to nail him there. Uh, so he's, he is number one, scourged. Uh, number two on verse <clears throat> uh, two, the soldiers wove a crown of thorns. These thorns are, are big thorns, okay? And it says, they put it on his head, okay? Uh, and so I'm sure they just didn't lightly set it there. I'm sure they jammed it down on his forehead. And again, now blood would be pouring out from his whole forehead all over his eyes, dripping upon his cheeks. It would have been extremely painful to have this jammed into his head. But then we go to another step, verse 3. And they began to come up to him, the soldiers. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they gave him blows to the face. So now they're actually beginning to slap him. 
I mean, if you can, I don't even see how we can fully imagine what this must have been like. Unbelievable pain on his back, on his buttocks, on his legs. His head is throbbing. Blood is going down his face. And now they begin to slap him. Then if we look at the end of 19, where we ended today in 16, so they delivered him to be crucified. From what we know, historically through time, crucifixion is very probably the worst painful, agonizing death a person can have. In regards to crucifixion, uh, spikes are driven and it's not into the palm because in the palm, the palm could not support the weight of people if they were hanging on the cross. So the, 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 the spike would not have been there. It would have been here in the wrist area. The spikes we know were approximately five to seven inches long. Uh, and uh, if you can imagine that, and they go right here in the wrist and they hit this, this what they call, uh, let me get the name of it, uh, the median nerve. It's the, the main nerve that goes down the arms. If you can imagine a nail piercing through that nerve would send excruciating pain down Jesus' left in his right arms as he's hanging there. Then a nail, again, uh, a spike is driven into his feet, again, into the nerves of the feet, which would cause exploding pain coming from the feet up. So he's getting pain from the arms down, pain from the uh, legs up. Unbelievable pain. Hanging there over a period of time, his shoulders would dislocate. And probably maybe one of the most painful things is in that position, when you're hanging like this, you can't breathe properly. The way your body is hanging and being supported, it's very hard to breathe in and Jesus would have been gasping, literally gasping to suck air. To be able to survive what would have to happen, the person that's being crucified at times would have to push down on their feet to try to lift their body up a little bit because they needed to lift their body up, we know, to exhale. So as this crucifixion would go on, you could see a, a human body going up and down, up and down, trying to get air the lungs, trying to get air out of the lungs. Meanwhile, the back of the cross would have been rugged wood. And if you can imagine splinters going into a back that's already been shredded and having blood pouring out, it was unbelievably painful. And at the end, a person would die of cardiac arrest. Unbelievable that humans could do this to their creator. That they could do that to one that would love them so much and they put him through this kind of torture. But it wasn't just physical torture that Jesus went through. We know uh, in Luke chapter 22, that before Jesus went to the cross on Good Friday, on Monday, Thursday, we know the story that 
he went to the garden and prayed it. You know, and sometimes you wonder what's worse, going through the ordeal or thinking about it before it happens. I know people that have had surgery. Many times the surgery is not as bad as we make it to be, but it's, it's the foreshadowing. It's like, I know what I got to go into. And if you can imagine, or I can imagine, on Monday, Thursday, Jesus is here praying, and he's praying basically, say, Father, you know, if there's any way, I don't want this. I don't want it. I don't want it. Because he's looking into now. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the pain. He knows the physical pain. He knows the emotional pain. He knows that he's going to be separated from his father for a period of time. And we know uh, it says this in Luke twenty-two forty-one. 41. Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to Jesus, and it's strengthening him. And here it says, and being in agony, he was praying fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. We know medically that if you sweat drops of blood, you are so utterly stressed out that you're breaking the capillaries in your forehead. Uh, and that means you're like, I don't know what his blood pressure would have been, but it's like there's such a panic and terror and stress that his body literally was, was just it was like, I can't do this. In fact, it even says an angel have to, had to show up to give him the ability to get through this. So not only is Jesus beaten up physically, he's beaten up mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And the amazing thing is he did that for each of us in a very personal way. It's not a generic thing on the cross. I believe he knew us individually, and he said, I'm doing it you because I love you. And the last thing uh, to look at today is the idea that God is in control. So if we're back uh, to John 19 again, it's interesting. Uh, Pilate, if you remember, it makes some statements uh, after uh, we find out that he is told that Jesus claims to be the son of God, according to the Jews. Uh, it says in John 19, 9, uh, Pilate entered the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that here it is? I have authority to release you. I have authority to crucify you. Pilate said, guess what? I have the ability, Jesus, to go either way. So you better make a statement here because it's on crunch time here. And Jesus makes this amazing statement. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. Jesus looks at him and point blank says, Pilate, you think you have the authority. You think you're calling the shots. There's no way. God is the one that's in control of this situation, not you. Uh, and basically, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, again, when you have a chance, you might want to look some of these verses up. The cross is not uh, a patch up that God thought, oh, my, things went bad at the fall. Uh, I better find a way to correct this situation. 
Uh, God had a plan before creation. God had a plan before Adam and Eve came on the scene. God had a plan to put our lives back together. Even before Adam and Eve fell, God had a plan how to put the human race back together. Uh, let me give you a couple of verses. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. Uh, Peter says this, uh, and he says this to the Jewish people. This man, Jesus, delivered up, here it is, by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. A predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God knew exactly what he was going to do. He had a knowledge, a foreknowledge, and a plan. And if we go a little bit further in Acts chapter 3. So basically, <clears throat> a lame man is healed and uh, Peter then begins to do a little preaching, uh, but he says in Acts 3.18, but these things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that as Christ should suffer, he has fulfilled. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 27, uh, <clears throat> again, Peter uh, is saying these things. Uh, and other disciples, it's really uh, the disciples are joining together and they make this statement. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against thy holy servant, Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Here it is, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. All through Acts, it's saying God had a plan. God executed the plan. God didn't violate Pilate's free will. God not, did not violate uh, the free will of the Jews, but he used even the sin and turned it around for his purposes. And what were his purposes? Uh, if you go back to Isaiah, way back, God had a plan. Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, who? Jesus. And by his scourging were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. God had a plan. And God was in control the whole way. So, okay, so what's that mean to you and I as we're beginning to wrap up? today. God was in control back there. In the whole thing, using the events of history to bring across what he wanted, I think there's three things we need to be aware of. Number one, God is totally aware of every single thing that's going on in your life and mine. No secrets from him. Psalm 139, 1. The psalmist says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and know me. Thou dost know when I sit down, when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are, here it is, intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it. 
So we need to be realizing in regards to God being in control. Number one, he knows everything that's happening in your life. I like what somebody said. God never said, oops, uh-oh, I missed that one. Uh-oh, this happened by accident. Uh-oh, no, 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 no. He knows every single thing that's going on in your life. Every single thing. I think the second thing we need to realize is that nothing can happen to us unless God allows it or permits it. Let me say it again. Nothing. And right, I don't know what you've gone through today. And some of you may be gone through some really tough times. But it's clearly stated in the Bible that nothing can happen in your life or mine unless God either permits it or allows it to occur and causes it. How do we know that? The book of Job. Very clear there. Satan is trying to knock Job off, but God says you can only go this far. Only go this far. God's calling the shots there, not the devil. So I think, number one, God knows everything that's going on in our lives. He also <clears throat> is the one that has allowed a hard time or causes it. And many times, I think it's just he allows the hard time to come. And here's the third thing I think we need to realize, and it's a biggie. If God allows something, quote unquote, bad to happen in your life or mine, he's trying to bring a greater good. Okay? So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the struggle, the pain. It could be, you name it, a relationship issue. It could be financial. It could be health. It could be whatever. If God has permitted it, he's only permitted it because he wants to bring a greater good out of it. And that's where I think we hang to the promise in Romans 8.28. Paul said this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. God causes all things if we love him and if we trust him. God causes all things, bad things, hard things, in between things, everything that happens. He wants to use it to bring good and make us more Christ-like in the end. So God ultimately is in control. It's not chance. It's not the devil. God's calling the shots. He called the shots back then in the days of Jesus. He's calling the shots now. So let me just close with a statement, and you might ponder this a little bit. <clears throat> and I think it's biblically correct. In every crucifixion, and I'm using that lightly because we're not being crucified, but sometimes we may feel like it, okay? In every crucifixion, there's a resurrection if you look for it. Okay? Where's your pain? Where is the, the crucifixion that you feel like you're going through? In the middle of that, somewhere, somehow, sometime in God's time, there will become a resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we, we stand in awe of your tremendous plan. Father, to put a broken world, but Lord, even more personally, to put our broken lives back together again. And we know, Lord, you're the one that called the shots. It wasn't the Jews, ultimately. It wasn't ultimately Pilate. It was you that allowed the crucifixion. 
because it was your ultimate plan to deal with our sin so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be brought back into fellowship and a relationship with you. So, Lord, we, we just this holy week, we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your tremendous love. Thank you, Lord, for enduring the cross, the agony that we, we saw today. And pure love to bring us back into a love relationship with you. And Lord, I just pray that you would just drive home the fact in all of our hearts that you're ultimately in control. You're on the throne. We know, Lord, there's no accidents with you. And if things come into our lives that are tough, uh, you've allowed them because you're trying to bring a good and a maturity in us through those struggles. So, Lord, I just pray for each of my brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to look for the resurrection. Give us the wisdom, Lord, to look for it and to see it when it comes. So, Lord, we thank you. And we just pray these things, Jesus, in your holy and strong name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you this holy week and particularly on Easter. Amen. God bless you.